If you would, join me today. We, we like to kind of dig through the Bible in a, in a methodical way, and so we're in Acts chapter 13, and so we, we're really unoriginal. We simply want to pick up there where we la- left off last week, and so we'll be in Acts chapter 13. And if you don't own a Bible or if you don't have a mobile device that gives you access to the Bible in some way, um, would you just raise your hand, and my friend Mark will actually bring a Bible to you. Um, and, and I want to throw a couple of things on top of that. If, if you don't own a Bible, if you don't possess a Bible, please let that be our gift to you. And if you, don't, if you know someone else who doesn't own a Bible, let that be our gift to them. And so we, we always want to get access to God's Word. Uh, we, we firmly believe that, that God speaks to us in a, in a mysterious way. That We dig into this book that's thousands of years old, and God, the, the eternal God of the universe, actually speaks to us. And so it's crazy to believe it, but we, we simply think that this is our protective measure uh, and again, I usually share this every week. It's also protection against our opinions. Um, it, it, it protects you from my hobby horses, from me just standing up here and telling you whatever I think. Uh, instead, if I say something that's off the rails, for example, about the Miami Heat, uh, the Green Bay Packers, or just something like that, and it's offensive, you'll know that's not what God really has to say. He must be illustrating something. And so this is a protective measure. When you open up God's Word with me, and I say something silly, you'll go, well, that's not really in the Bible. That's just Him being silly. Right? And there's a protective measure that our direction, our leading as a group of people um, is ultimately rooted in who God is and what God wants for us and not necessarily in just what we think is a good idea at the time. Because in fact, the Bible even shares with us earlier on in this particular book that there is a way that seems right to us. By majority vote, there's a way that would seem popular and right. And that way leads to destruction because it's not found and rooted in God's way. And so this is our practical way of every week opening up this, this Bible, opening up God's Word and letting Him speak and shape our own hearts and our own lives. And so we want to pick up there in Acts chapter 13, where we left off. I want to give you a little bit of the background. Again, Acts, this book, simply is short for actions, like the actions of the apostles, the very first followers of Jesus heard the good news, or in most cases for these guys, they walked with Jesus, and then they began to live out the way that Jesus had taught them to live. And they begin to walk in Jesus' footsteps. They begin to believe what Jesus taught them. And they begin to see what they believed about what Jesus taught them take shape and begin to mold their own lives and the people around them. And so we're simply digging into the actions of the apostles. And, and it's a great, great, great witness and a great example for us because the first followers of Jesus had Jesus to walk with and then emulate. But then they kind of had to figure out what to do and God's Spirit was present with them and helped them make each decision. Well, we have double the advantage. Not only does God's Spirit continue to speak to us through His Word, but also we have their example. We have these stories of what it looks like to follow Jesus. And so we simply want to imitate the things that we can imitate. We want to follow the places that we can follow. And we want to be like them as much as our gifting and opportunity gives us the ability to do so. And so We want to dig into Acts chapter 13. I'm going to read the entire chapter, kind of overlap what we did last week, and then we'll simply make some observations about what seems to be going on. The very first followers of Jesus, as they're going from place to place, building things that they begin to call churches, Christians, followers, disciples. Here we go. Verse 1, Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers. There was Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and then Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit, said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul 
for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and they sent them off. So, being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. And when they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And they had John, that is John Mark, to assist them. And when they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, there it is again, looked intently at him and he said, You son of the devil, the, you enemy of all righteousness, you are full of deceit and villainy. Will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. And immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred. For he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem, that is John Mark. But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch in Pisidia. And on the Sabbath day they went to the synagogue and sat down. And after the reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, please say it. So Paul stood up, and motioning with his hand, he said, Men of Israel, and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people Israel chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he led them out of it. And for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. And all this took about 450 years. And after that, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. And then they asked for a king. And God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found David... I found in David the son of Jesse a man who is after my own heart, who will do all my will. Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, just as he promised. Before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, What do you suppose that I am? I am not he that is the one, the Savior. No, but behold, after me one is coming the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize Him nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them, that is the prophecy, by condemning Him, that is Jesus. 
And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and they laid him in a tomb. But, just as we sang, God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this has, that this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising up Jesus. As also it is written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, that is decay, He has spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he says also in another psalm, he's quoting the Bible, you will not let your holy one see corruption or decay. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and he saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. So let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, Jesus Forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by Him, everyone, every single one who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days a work that you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. And so as they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, and many, excuse me, many Jews and devout converts of Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. Now since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are now turning to the Gentiles, that is, people who are not of this religious group, for so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing, glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and they drove them out of their district. But shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Now I wanted to make sure I read that to you because included in it is actually one of the first sermons recorded. So at the very least you will have heard a good sermon today because I just read it to you from a very prominent figure by the name of Paul, who, as a matter of fact, ends up writing the rest of the Bible. From this point on, he contributes almost exclusively to what we know as the New Testament. 
So I want you to hear that this is what the first sermons look like. And, and if you find yourself thinking, well, what's this guy up here talking about every week? Or, or when we stand up and speak of God's word, what do we sound like? And does it sound a little bit like what the first Christians sounded like? And my hope is that as you sit and listen to me on a regular basis and you hear me speak out of God's word, you hear exactly the kind of pattern that you see modeled here by Paul. That someone simply stands up and says, this is who God is. This is who God has revealed himself to be. And this is the way in which it has a call on you and me. And these are the ways in which you and I are commanded to respond. And these are the ways in which God wants to give us new life. But in addition to that, I want you to see kind of a pattern that that seems to be going on. And it seems to be playing out on a regular basis. You see, Jesus gives us before he ascends into heaven, a couple of important things. His last words, if you will, if you will are, are recorded in the Gospels, the good news of Jesus, but they're also recorded at the beginning of this book of Acts. And he tells his people, hey, all authority, all authority under heaven and earth has been given to me. Now, this is important because anyone who might say, well, Jesus, hey, he was just kind of an important guy. He was famous and he might have started a movement. Yet he's probably not who Christians believe that he is. Well, well, you have to kind of contend with his own words, and you might have to actually call Jesus a liar to believe that, because Jesus himself said, look, I've got authority. I am king. Uh, There's a a prominent uh, teacher and theologian that I look up to, and he put it this way. He said, there's no square inch of all of the universe over which Jesus Christ does not say, mine. There's no square inch over all the universe over which Jesus Christ does not say, that is mine. And Jesus says, look, if if you don't believe me, look, here's the holes in my hand. Here's the way they tried to kill me. But trust me, I've got power. And all authority now has been given to me. So therefore, go. He says, make disciples, simply to say, look, you have been my disciples. You have been walking in my footsteps, learning from my teachers, now, learning from my teaching. Now go and do the same thing that I've taught you. Gather people around you, invest in them, teach them what I have taught you. Teach them, it says, even to obey all that I've commanded you. And just in case we think this might be crazy, Jesus wants to encourage us and he says, And remember, I will be with you every step of the way. And then one of the last words, right before he goes up into heaven, he says to his followers around him, he says, hey, look, I know you don't have all the answers to all the questions that you wish you had, but here's your job. Your job is to be my witnesses. So keep telling the story of what you have seen and heard. And be my witnesses first in Jerusalem where the Jewish people live at this time. So did you catch in that particular passage in the Scripture, first, these people were preaching, they were telling the good news of who Jesus was and that there's life and forgiveness and mercy of God that we can find in Jesus. They first tell this Jewish group, this this group of Israel. But then it says after that, that that if they were to reject it, Jesus says first to Jerusalem, then to Judea, maybe some of the people on the outskirts. But if that isn't far enough, go to Samaria. And Samaria was a place full of people that the Jews did not like. And yet Jesus says, I don't care if you don't like them. I love them. Go, tell them this good news of mercy. And if that isn't far enough, he says, go then to the ends of the earth. And as we dig through the book of Acts, we see the obedience to Jesus' commands being played out here. And you even see the means in which this is sometimes communicated, i.e., a sermon. 
So I want you to see this pattern that Jesus gives something to his disciples, and it's meant not to be a secret, but instead it's meant to be something that is so good, so great, that it bubbles out of us and we cannot keep it a secret. Just like the gossip that tends to, to spread further than you wish that it would, this good news travels fast. And if it really changes us, then it begins to go at a high rate of speed. And I want to point out just a, a little thing here that, that, was, that you might have seen uh, for a minute there. It says that ultimately God is revealing himself and that, that Paul wants you to know everything about this. And, and they, they, they experience some adversity, right? They experience some adversity. And, and there's a man by the name of Bar-Jesus. And I want, before we kind of start digging through some of the things in this story, I want you to see maybe a, a key turning point in this story in which this deceiver, if you will, begins to kind of take the proconsul and have him under his magical powers, let's say, or at least he's got him in a position where he's profiting from the fact that he has the ability to have wisdom or insight maybe into the future. But then this is what, this is the rebuke that Paul gives to him. He says, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, which is, by the way is funny, the word bar Jesus means son of Jesus. So this guy was coming along and using Jesus' name, even though he wasn't proclaiming Jesus, he called himself the son of Jesus, right? He wanted people to think that he had the power and, and prophecy that Jesus had, so he calls himself bar Jesus. So if you're wondering where this really strange phrase comes from, you son of the devil, that's Paul being a smart mouth, right? Oh, you son of Jesus? No, 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 no. You son of the devil. Which, by the way, if you can come up with an eloquent insult like this guy, you're on a whole nother level, right? I'm just, you, you stupid head, right? This guy, you son of the devil, you, you spreader of evil, you, you're, you're, you're a, a servant of the devil, you are doing all these things, you're full of deceit and villainy. And then he says, you continue to make crooked the straight paths of the Lord. And I want you to remember that particular phrase, straight paths of the Lord. Because up to this point, God has sent his followers, his disciples, to tell the world about his mercy. This good news that God has demonstrated for us in Jesus and made available to us is not a secret. We love and worship and know a God that although he is mysterious because he is infinite, he is not secretive. Remember that. He's, he's mysterious. He's mysterious because he's greater than our minds can fathom, right? Similar to the way that the bottom of, you know, the depths of the ocean is mysterious. Not because it's a secret, but because it's so deep you'd die if you tried to get there, right? Only a handful of people who wrap themselves in metal make it down to this part of the, part of the earth, right? It's not because it's a secret, but it's just great. It's mysterious. I heard one person say it this way, to, to measure and to quantify the identity of God is like trying to measure the Grand Canyon with a yardstick. It's not that it can't be done. It could. It's just you probably will die in the process. In the same way, God is infinitely greater than us, and so there are character traits that he possesses that will seem mysterious to us. There are things about God's will that seem like we don't understand them, and God even says, my ways are not your ways. But notice that the things we don't know about God aren't because he hasn't told us. They're usually because we can't even begin to fathom them. Our God wants the paths to him to be made straight. And he sent his son Jesus to prove it. So that when Jesus was walking among these people and he shared with them who he was, he said, you want to know who God is? He says, look, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. 
and no one comes to the Father but through me. But thanks be to God, we do not serve a God who is up there and out there, but instead we serve and love a God who makes the paths to himself merciful and gracious. So that no matter how far we might have run from God, no matter what decisions we might have made, God always puts Jesus in our sights so that the paths back to him are straight. I throw that out there because many people have tried to complicate this or to make this more difficult than it ought to be. But there's a beauty about our God who Jesus refers to lovingly as a father. Our God desires his children to be close with him and in his presence, wrapped in his arms in the same way that any loving father wants his children close to him. In the same way the loving father would never give wrong directions to their child. In the same way that a loving father would never intentionally deceive their children. So also our perfect and loving God, even better fathers than we are, wants his children to know him and seek him. So much so that let's, let's look at some of the ways in which this plays out. Look, you see this at the very beginning. Um, so we, we looked at the first few verses, uh, verse 1 through 3 last week. Uh, kind of saw that this is something that, uh, and this is something we know about who God is, that, that God inspires in us a radical unselfishness. And so these, this first church, instead of hoarding their best players and their most valuable people, actually see what God is doing and selflessly send out their best encourager, Barnabas, and their best teacher, Paul. And we too, because of what Jesus has done, because God has shown us radical generosity through Jesus, we also are overflowing with generosity to share with the people around us. We don't owe anything. Instead, God has given us so much so freely, so graciously, that now we can pass on and give as graciously. So much so that one day, like, like we're friends and we're talking about Jesus, but this is going to play out in the future. I'm standing here telling you about who Jesus is, trying to encourage you, build you up, give you a sense of hope in Jesus. And one day, you will do that also with someone else. And my tendency, recognize this, is to be selfish and say, no, I want to do it. But notice that the follower of Jesus operates in a different economy. So much so that some of you who, who pick, pick it this way, the smartest smartest, most intelligent, most gifted encourager and teacher among us one day, if we do this right, we're actually going to kick out of here. Not because we don't love them, but because we love God's will even more. And if we have the opportunity to spread this good news somewhere else outside of our circle, we are going to graciously and unselfishly give them up to see it go out. The end will of God is not Connection Church the means toward the end will of God of him receiving glory through the nation is the church. And there is no such thing as self-preservation in the book of Acts. There is no such thing as maintenance mode. And if you and I ever begin to see things in terms of maintenance mode, like, oh, we better preserve what we have, then we've missed the point because the thing that God's given us can't be maintained. In fact, it's too great to be contained. And that is what God is doing here. And they were willing to send their first people. But I want you to... In case you wonder how crazy that is and how we could be so unselfish, I want you to see it explains it in verse 4. It says that they were sent out by whom? Did you catch that in verse 4? Being sent out by 
Anybody? You looking at it? Say it, somebody. The Holy Spirit. So, whose idea is it to be generous? Not ours, right? Not, not people. Our inherent nature is to be hoarders, right? I mean, some of us show up on TV as hoarders, but the rest of us are just kind of keeping it a secret. Or we're lucky to have married someone who throws stuff away before we can hoard it, right? That's neither here nor there. That's not helpful. So you see that the, God is the author of this. The Spirit is the author of this generosity, not us. We're not this generous, not by any nature, but instead, God starts this thing. And that gives us an amazing amount of confidence that if God is the one who starts it, then we can hear the encouraging word of this guy, Paul, that he said to another church in Philippi. And he says, here's something we can be sure of, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to carry it out in completion, not by your good works and not by your faithfulness, but by the power of Jesus Christ. Our God, if he started this thing, then, then we can operate with a great deal of confidence. And you can encourage me if I'm like, oh, what is this, you know, what's happening? And, and, and I can encourage you, oh no, what's going to happen? And you can say, look, God's doing this. God's in control. God started it. He's going to finish it. Second thing you see, I think you, if you look at verse 5, if God is going to do this, here's something we ought to do in verse 5. This is a good lesson for all of us. Take someone with you. Did you catch what they did in verse 5? When they arrived at this place, they were doing this thing, but it, it, it comes to our attention at this point that a guy that they had been investing in a few chapters before, they brought with them. That John Mark, did you catch that? They brought him along to assist them. If you're going to do something that God means for you to do, don't go alone. Don't go by yourself. Go with someone. So even, even as you're sitting there thinking, like, oh man, I don't know how I can really be obedient to God. I don't know if I can do what God, God commands of me. I mean, whatever you sense in your conscience that the Holy Spirit has begun to stir in you, it could be silly stuff, right? I'm trying not to cuss as much, right? Well, okay, don't do it alone. Take someone with you. If God means to sanctify us, then he's going to give us the means to do it. Well, maybe it's, hey, my marriage is crummy, right? I'm struggling. Well, guess what? Stop trying to fix it alone. Look, addicts who hit the bottom know this better than all of us. You can keep trying to fix it on your own. You can keep pretending that you've got it all together. And in fact, you can show up here once a week and act like you've got it all figured out. But the truth is, you shouldn't do it alone. And if you're thinking to yourself, oh, I don't, I don't, I don't have anyone, I don't, then here's, here's the, the weekly reminder. Here's the weekly reminder. You can look around, look around, do it. Look at the people around you. These are the people, yeah, these are the people that God sent you. And if you find yourself going, man, no one knows how I feel or no one has it like I do, guess what? God sent you these people to prove you wrong. Don't go alone. These guys invested. And note, it doesn't turn out that great. He ends up leaving before the chapter's over, which becomes an important part of the story several chapters later. It doesn't work out perfect. But they sense that God is doing something and they bring someone along. And amazing things happen. You get to share in what God's doing. Right? If, if, if it's mercy that you need by confessing of sin, then the most awesome things to do is to bring someone along and say, look at the way that God has changed me. 
If there's something inside of you that you want to keep a secret, you want to hide it, one of the best things you can do is bring someone alongside of you. They won't judge you, I promise you. They know the grace that they need as much as you. And then when God begins to transform you and later on you have the victory, now you, have, you already have like a celebration party with you. Because you get to invite those people and go, remember that thing that we were praying about? Remember that thing that God was doing and I needed your help on? Can you see, do you see what God did? So as this applies to our church, there's no responsibility here that's exclusive to any one person. I am not the sole preacher of God's word. In fact, I am just the guy who encourages you to do it on a weekly basis. God will use you and speak to you and through you every opportunity you get. I am not the sole singer of songs, right? Instead, our whole lives are meant to be kind of a song and worship. Every opportunity in the car or in the shower that you get a chance to praise God, He hears you. There's, there's no role exclusive to any one person here. This is really fun as a church plant because we see this, right? You, there's no one who can, there's like no free ride because everything we do is, is kind of like a baby that's coming out of the womb, right? There's, there's a lot of, we can't really do anything for ourselves. In fact, we get to serve one another. And that's a beautiful illustration of this, isn't it? God sends people to us to serve us and help us, and in the end, they'll get, to, they'll get to savor God's victory as well. But there's also some things that happen along the way. As you go out, even if you bring a friend, notice, things will try to derail us and turn us away. So they get the opportunity to share this good news to people. In fact, there's this important, influential person, person Sergius Paulus, who was Basically, like the, like the, he was called a proconsul, which is basically like a governor. He's not the emperor, but he's the governor over this particular area. And he hears about what's going on. And this person of influence is like, hey, I want to hear about this. But it turns out that this guy is being a little bit deceived. You see, he's got a magician, Bar Jesus. Now, that, don't be afraid of that word, that word magician there. It's the same word that is used to describe what we know in the Christmas story as the three wise men, right? magus, magi, right? I don't know if you've used that word on a regular basis other than at Christmas. There you go, right? The, the three magi were this, that they were simply whiz, they were simply wise people that had a gift, possibly a spiritual power. They're like witch doctors, shaman, maybe, maybe a psychic would be something that we might, might have. And, and notice that the proconsul is tempted to lean on this person. He's tempted to lean on this prophecy that obviously must be benefiting him and obviously must be profiting the magician. But along comes this other guy who walks in and says, hey, 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 you want to know about the future? Let me tell you about the future. This Jesus, whom was killed, is alive and he's going to be with us forever. That's the future. But not everyone is excited to hear that. Not everyone is excited to hear who Jesus is and what he's accomplished. And not even everyone is comfortable talking about it. So here's, I'm going to take a, a, a brief, this is like a, a sidetrack, and just a request for prayer. Um, I, I haven't known in the last few weeks how to address this, and so the best thing I can do is just humbly ask you to pray. But if you've like, watched the television or read the news, nobody reads the news anymore, I guess, but if you're aware of what's going on, in current events. There's some crazy stuff going on. I mean, here we are. Um, it, I don't think they got the air conditioner going um, today, and so it's a little muggy in here. But Christians on the other side of the world are being killed. 
uh, Christians of all ages, doesn't matter your gender, age, they're killing them, right? God, God bless them. God comfort them. I, I don't even know what to say to them. And, and, and even in our own country, we tend to think everything's okay. We tend to think, oh yeah, politically correct. We don't say things that are offensive or do, offensive that are do things that are wrong. Well, what happened in Ferguson, Missouri kind of blew that up, didn't it? And all I know to tell you is that I don't have a political investment either way other than to say, aren't those signs, aren't those signs that we need Jesus? Aren't those signs that there is good news that still needs to transform our hearts? Because as much as we want to hide it or control it, every opportunity we get, our hate, our selfishness, And the evil that is lurking in the human heart, it pops out. And I would argue there is not a political solution. This is an eternal problem that is as deep as our own souls. And thank God that He has sent good news that can transform us and begin to shape our hearts. So all I know to do is just, there's going to be adversity to this, but please pray because I see the opportunity, the opportunity for the gospel to go out and change hearts is all over the news right now. So sometimes people intentionally deceive. This is exactly what this guy was doing, this magician, this prophet of sorts. But notice his response. It says that if God's going to start this, right, if the Holy Spirit sent them out, then here's good news. If someone someone does oppose us, if someone is against what we're saying and who Jesus is, guess what we get? If Jesus... Excuse me, if the Spirit sent us out, then the Spirit will follow us. And so it says that Paul was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he looked directly at the guy. The same Spirit that sent them out was the Spirit that gave him the Word, and it said, filled with the Holy Spirit, it says, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, you're full of deceit and villainy. Will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And then amazingly, this man becomes blind. Now, I don't know if you and I are going to have that kind of power as we seek to encourage and love the people around us with the good news of Jesus. But I do know this. And if you have that gift, you know it, right? You probably already used it. Like if you blind people, right? Um, God hasn't given me that gift, again, because I would probably abuse it, right? I would have, I mean, think of my brother. I wouldn't have a brother at this point, right? He would be blind and all sorts of things. God didn't give me this power Because with great power comes great responsibility. I don't have that kind of responsibility. But I will tell you this. God will give you what you need. God will empower you with His Spirit. Because if His Spirit has empowered you to step out in faith, to love someone that maybe is unloved, to, to draw someone into your own home and family that is an orphan or outcast, as you follow the Spirit to draw those people in so that you can love them like Jesus loved them, the Spirit will give you what you need. It doesn't say that this guy ever becomes a believer. That's not what it says. It isn't saying that all things are going to be great for you either. That If we read the end of the story, it doesn't end very well for Paul. But if God is going to send us out, then God is going to be with us. And that's why, in fact, uh, he, he, he's able to look by the power of the Spirit right at this person and realize that it's not a spirit, excuse me, it's not a personal thing, it's not an ego thing. He says, look, you are the son of the devil. 1 John puts it this way. He says in 1 John 3, 8, later in the Bible, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. So the enemy of God 
It's kind of a weird to talk about the enemy of God that is the devil, the, the adversary, Satan, is the author and the father of sin. He's the one that wants to draw us away from God. And there's a million different ways he does that because he knows your language and mine. He has a way of speaking a really specific way to each of us and using the temptations that we're born with and we carry around with us and using them to his advantages to draw us away from God. But you see that sin and drawing people away from the good news of Jesus is ultimately not a personal thing. It's an evil thing. So he looks at him, and this is why in 1 John 3, 8, it says that the practice of sinning is actually from the devil. In fact, the devil has been sinning from the very beginning. But for this reason, this is awesome, the Son of God appeared. The reason that the Son of God appeared, the reason that Jesus came to the earth is to destroy the works of the devil. Look, the enemy may have a list of buttons he knows to push with you. Rest easy, be encouraged. Jesus is going to put him out one day. And whatever thing that you have that holds you, that controls you, that seems to, I would say, demonize you, that seems to like kind of carry you around and cause you to do things you wish you didn't do, and as you look back and you realize that things seem to have power over you, I have good news for you. Jesus is in the process of putting it to death. He has killed it, when he said, it is finished on the cross, and all that remains is for those things to become true piece by piece in your life and mine. Why? Because Paul tells us that anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. This is also in Acts chapter 2. So that when the proconsul saw this, he saw this crazy thing happen, a guy got blinded, it says, when he saw what had occurred in verse 12, he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. He believed. This man believed. This man saw what God was doing, and it says that he believed. Evidently, Jesus has the power, despite the adversary's work, to make his path to the Father straight. And if you're finding yourself right now going, well, I just don't, you know, I don't know that there really is a God, I don't, and if there is, I don't know that he would have anything to do with me. Here's good news. God wants to make the path back to him as straight as possible. And if you don't believe me, look at Jesus. If you're wondering whether or not God could receive you, if you're wondering whether or not God can forgive you, look at Jesus. Because as they begin to share this good news, the people who were hungry to know God and know peace began to hear this good news and were transformed by it. And that's what happens for the rest of the chapter, right? Paul preaches. People jump on board. They get excited. People want to be a part of what God is doing. So here's my encouragement to you. Ultimately, the power that these people had, the power that they had was not their own. So let's finish with the last verse in that chapter, the very last verse, verse 52. The disciples were ultimately, it says, they were filled with joy and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. So what started this movement? What started this movement in this, this island? The Holy Spirit. And what ultimately carried them through and caused an amazing movement that even exists to today? God's Spirit. 
rest easy. If you're in here and you're thinking, and this, this is the temptation every time we share the good news. The temptation is that you hear, I stand up here and I say, yeah, Jesus is good. Trust in him. Stop leaning on your own understanding. Stop trusting in what you can do. Stop trusting in your own ability, but instead trust in God's mercy. And even after I say that over and over and over again, many of you, because of your nature, like me, will leave here going, I need to try harder. You know what I'm going to do this week? I'm going to work harder. But notice that, is, that isn't even what's going on here. Ultimately, it's God's Spirit that gives us peace. Ultimately, it's God's Spirit that carries us through the day. It is only by His grace that you and I are still here. And it's only by God's grace that we will see each other again this time, this place, next week. So I want to encourage you, if you find yourself thinking, I'm not good enough, I'm not strong enough to be this person that God's called me to be, I'm not strong enough to fix my marriage, you're right, you are not. But God in His mercy is. If you find yourself saying, I'm I'm not good enough to be godly, you're right, you're not. And that's why God sent His Son Jesus to make the path straight to Him, as straight as possible find yourself saying, I can't, I can't fix what's wrong with me. Every time I look in the mirror, I can't carry this on my own. You are right. Grab someone, ask them for help, and celebrate, not that you are good enough, but that you are not, and Jesus is. Because ultimately, the thing that changed these people's hearts and that created a movement, and this, this is it, this is the last thing I want to wish on you. Did, you. did you catch what? They were full of the Holy Spirit at the beginning, at the end, but did you see what else they were full of? This is really cool because I think most Christians need to hear this. Most people who would call themselves followers of Jesus miss this one, and it's really cool. All right, this is really great. I'm sounding like Jimmy Fallon, I realize, but this really is awesome, okay? The disciples, they were not only filled with the Holy Spirit, but you know what they had and they were full of? Joy. Anyone tells you that following Jesus is miserable and hard and difficult, misses this one because i promise you the joy outweighs the cost the joy that he means to lavish upon us forever and ever has been paid for by his agony the cost is paid and all that's left for you and i is to experience the joy of knowing that this jesus has come to put to death the works of the enemy and all that assails us ultimately has no power at the name of Jesus. If I could wish anything upon all of you, if I could wish just one thing, man, that would be it. That you would see and know how good Jesus is and you would find joy in Him forever and ever. So good, so good, that you'll tell everyone you know. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for how good you are. Uh, We thank you so much that ultimately this joy is not of ourselves, that uh, ultimately the thing that you've called us to do, to know you and to love you, to serve you and honor you, uh, those things are impossible for us, but you've made them possible and you've made the path straight through Jesus Christ. It's not of ourselves. We thank you for that because if it were, we would mess it up. If this gift were something that we were even meant to keep for ourselves, we would just mess it up. But thank you, God, that it is your Spirit that has called us to you, even ways we can't 
explain. So right now, there's some in this room, maybe, maybe they just kind of feel the call, and they feel this tug, like, man, I hear, I hear this thing about Jesus, it sounds crazy, but there's part of it that, I don't know, there's something that's, that's stirring and inspiring me inside. I, I, would you begin to encourage them and show you that that's just the seed of the good news that you've planted in them that's beginning to change them? And it's only a matter of time before the fruit of that Spirit includes joy. So if there's some in this room, maybe they're they're struggling to see you for who you are, God, begin to show us you're not a God that keeps secrets, but instead you have wanted the world to know who you are, and that's why you sent your son Jesus. And if we're having doubts or struggles seeing that and receiving that joy, God, would you just pour that on us right now? Would you give us the faith and give us the mercy? We don't deserve it, and we could never earn it. God, for some of us, maybe, uh, maybe this is... This is not new news to us. We, we know this, and we know that we know who you are. You've shown us who you are, but frankly, we've begun to kind of keep it a secret. We've gone into maintenance mode. Uh, we're more interested in kind of watching out for ourselves. And in fact, we're more, we're more consumed with trying to protect our faith than we are with sharing it. We're more consumed with keeping the bad stuff out than we are getting the good stuff. God, if that's the case, if we're, if we're thinking more in terms of trying to like, hedge our bets and protect our faith, would you begin to show us that that's not your will? Instead, you've given us the gift of mercy that, that pours out and it's new every single day. And the way to see it grow and to flourish is, the, is simply to pass it out. It's to be filled with it to the point that it overflows. Help us to not be consumed with simply protecting ourselves, but instead help us to look earnestly for opportunities to give selflessly of ourselves, knowing that you're the the author of this, it's your spirit that's begun it, and it's your spirit that will protect us and bless it. We thank you for that. It's only through your spirit that we could even ask these things, and it's only through your spirit that we could be obedient to them. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.